0: Hi, everybody. This is Jeannie Faulkner, and you're listening to Common Sense Pregnancy, Parenting, and Power Podcast. I'm the author of Common Sense Pregnancy, Penguin Random House 2015, and Fit Pregnancies. Ask the Labor Nurse blogger. I got a couple of emails this week from listeners, and I want to jump right in and answer them. Anna emailed and said her daughter, who is 37 weeks pregnant, is having what she describes as period cramps. She says her daughter wants to know the difference between these and real contractions. And I wrote a whole section about this in my book, Common Sense Pregnancy. Chapter 7 is titled, Are You in Labor? And I'm going to read just a short bit from that part here. How to tell when you're really, truly honest to God in labor. When I was pregnant with my first baby, I'd already been working in women's health for about 10 years. I'd been a medical assistant for a few obstetricians been present at a few labors, seen a couple of babies born, taken Lamaze classes, and I had sisters with babies. So basically that made me an expert on what it meant to be in labor, right? There I was 10 days overdue and having regular contractions. My belly was getting tight at regular interviews and most of these contractions hurt, more or less. I'd lost my mucus plug and was having some bloody show. I was edgy and cranky as hell and pretty darn sure I was in labor. My husband dutifully timed and recorded my contractions all night long, and when, in the morning, I felt sure I was on my way, we drove to my OB's office for a labor check. He examined my cervix and told me as kindly as possible that I was only a fingertip dilated, but he was certain labor would start within a few days. A few days? What the hell have I been doing here all this time if that wasn't labor? I've been experiencing what we call pre-labor. The medical term is prodromal labor. That's the disorganized, time-consuming, annoying, and exhausting preamble to real labor. It's not false labor. These contractions are performing important functions. They're getting baby into a good birthing position and as low in the pelvis as possible without pulling out the big guns, aka real, true labor contractions. They're getting the cervix ripe and ready by helping it soften, thin out, and move from a posterior position, tucked way up at the top of the vagina, to an anterior position, lower in the vagina, with the cervical os opening toward the front. It's unfortunate that dilation gets all the attention in the labor show, but this effacement and ripening must happen before the cervix can really get down to the business of dilating. I asked my doctor how I would know when I was really in labor, and he said, Oh, you'll know, believe me, you'll know. Well, of course he was spot on correct. The irritating pattern of on again, off again contractions continued for another day before we turned a great big corner. Then my contractions became regular and much stronger and we weren't messing around anymore. Many labors, especially those of first timers, start with prodromal labor. How will you know when you're really in labor? Well, I hate to make this sound too ominous, but pain is a big indicator. All right, guys, I'm leaving it there. Pick that, the rest of that essay up in Chapter 7. Um, Anna, tell your daughter from me. You'll know. Believe me, you'll know. So another email came from Terry, <clears throat> who says she's 35 years old, has a good job, and a sweet little condo that she bought all on her own. She has family close by, really excellent friends, and a five-year-old Boston Terrier. What she doesn't have is a husband and a baby, and she really, really, really wants a baby. She's not so sure she wants a husband. Her question, am I crazy to sign up for single motherhood? I want a baby more than anything, but I don't want to wait around forever for a perfect partner. I want one now. Should I? 35 seems to be a magic age that makes a lot of women really think about whether or not they're going to have children. Time's moving by, and if you're going to do it, you better not wait too much longer. Sure, infertility treatments are amazing, and women well into their 40s are having babies these days, but it's an expensive and intrusive option that most women describe as fairly unpleasant. If you can get pregnant on your own, that seems to be by far the easier route, at least for most women. Terry, I have no idea if you should become a mother all on your own, but I bet you know. It sounds like you have all the pieces in place, a nice home, a job, community who can support you if you decide to raise a baby solo, but only you know if it's something you want to do on your own. If you do opt for single parenthood, you'll be joining a lot of other families. According to the U.S. Census Bureau, out of about 12 million single-parent families in 2014, more than 80% were headed by single mothers. I saw an essay posted this week on rattle.com by a poet, author, and writer, Khadijah Queen. The essay is titled Mothering Solo, and Khadija had some beautifully on-point things to say about the experience of single motherhood, and I want to get her on the phone to share her insights. <phone rings> Hi, Khadijah. Hi, Jeannie. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Now, you and I, um, I'm going to read your bio in just a second, but I always like letting readers know um, how how we I connect with the people that come on my podcast. And you and I are basically just acquaintances on Facebook. Right. Yeah. And I saw that you posted... Um, a link to a really powerful essay that I want to talk about, but first, let me just tell my readers who I've got on the phone, or excuse me, my listeners. Khadija Queen is the author of four books and four chapbooks. Most recently, Fearful Beloved in 2015. In 2014. She won the Leslie Scalapino Award for Innovative Women Performance Writers and the Relationship Theater Company staged her verse play, Non-Sequitur, at Theater Lab, New York City, for a 10-day run in December of 2015. (laughs) Woo-hoo! Individual poems and prose appear in Fence, Tin House, Best American Non-Required Reading, Memoir, and The Force of What's Possible. Her essay about single motherhood, Mothering Solo, appears in Rattle. And that's the essay that caught my eye. Um, She serves as board chair for the feminist publisher, Corey Press, and is core faculty for the new low-residency Mile High MFA program at Regis University. Her fifth book, I'm So Fine, A List of Famous Men and What I Had On, was a finalist for the National Poetry Series and will be published in spring 2017 by Yes, Yes Books. Whew! (laughs) (laughs) You've got a strong bio.
1: I write a lot. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you and I have so much to talk about today. Yes. Um, and I don't want to read um, Mothering Solo on our podcast today because I want to I want people to go to rattle and read it for themselves. Right. Um so if they go to rattle.com and they put Mothering Solo into the search bar, they'll find you, won't they? absolutely great yeah
1: well you have a you have a little boy is that correct I do he is now a teenager oh yeah how old he will be 16 in March I have a daughter who will be 16 in February oh how awesome how you doing teenage teenage mom I, you know what I love the teenage years the only thing is trying to feed him <laughs> oh my god I know it's intense isn't it it is a non-stop job I, I, and he feels badly about it it's so funny it's like I'm hungry again it was like two hours before I made this big elaborate dinner <laughs> he's like I'm sorry
0: <laughs> I know but yeah yeah but so far you sound very calm that's great yeah I,
1: he's a great kid Good yeah
0: I have uh, a bunch of kids and my youngest is not quite 16. so you know some mm. of those teen years can be a little rocky they can be edgy yeah 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 well so far, I'm so good so far so good good. <laughs> good
1: Well if you've already got him to 16 you're well on your way. Yes I' I'm, I'm, I stay on him that's one of the things that I do I'm kind of he, he might call me a little overbearing but it's with care. Yeah. And, you know, I admit when I'm wrong or I'll check with him to see how he's doing about how I'm behaving sometimes, you know? So we're good.
0: Well, good. Good. You're on your way. So I want to talk about the essay. Yes. Um, And I really loved it because it knocks stereotypes and prejudices about single parenthood just out of the park. And when you talk about society's expectations and judgments regarding single parenthood you were spot on and very poignant and i can't speak from experience i've i've been married for a long time and you know raised all my children with my mm-hmm. husband but i spent 20 years as a labor and delivery nurse and mm-hmm. um many many single parents single mothers came in and had their babies and Even in that brief interaction that we had, you know, 8, 10, 12 hours together, you could tell that our initial um, getting to know each other, that there was a part of her that wanted to know if she was being judged. Mm, Right. Yeah. Yeah. So let's, tell me a little bit about this from your perspective.
1: Well, I definitely felt that way when I was having my son. You know at the hospital my mother was with me um, I had a p- partner at the time but he was deployed we were both in the service mm-hmm. and um, so we you know it seemed like I was a single parent and I feel that I was treated differently oh you do you feel like but you but instead of it di- making oh yeah oh,
0: oh, wow. absolutely
1: tell me how yeah, I, well <laughs> I was told to go to a different hospital first well I was not given pillows I was not allowed to sleep. I was not allowed to um comfort my child when I heard him crying. They like kept him in there, you know, and then but when my mother was there it was a lot better because she would advocate for me. Wow. But it went yeah, it was not the best experience. What what state did you have your child in? In Virginia. Huh. In
0: mm-hmm. a military facility? Mhm. Huh. That's remarkable. Mhm. And sixteen years ago, I I wonder if things have improved
1: well maybe I don't know I would like to think that they have you know I would hope that they have but I think you know there's a sort of I don't want to call it disdain or disregard but just you just treat it differently I guess it is disregard I guess it, you know it is disdain it's a strong language but you when you're in a vulnerable state and other people have to help you, sometimes you don't come across enough kindness.
0: Yeah, yeah, I understand how that is. Um, You know, now, I'm curious about this now, if things have evolved over the last decade and a half, because now we're, you know, darn close to 50% of babies that are born are born to single parents. And, you know, it's the 21st century yeah yeah
1: you would think you would think people would be over it by now but there are so many parts of the world where things have not progressed yeah and I think religion is still a big part of people's lives huge Huge. yeah so yeah being married is a big deal when you're you know part of a religion yeah
0: so in the essay itself, you talk about you know some of the expectations and judgments that come with single parenthood. But for people, for listeners that haven't read it, can you you know summarize
1: that a little bit for us? Sure. I I just feel like when I was pregnant with my son, I was young. I was twenty four when I was pregnant. And I looked young. I still look young. I don't look 40. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So even, you know, even now when we walk around and he's this big man child and I don't look old enough to be his mother. I look like I'm his sister. People look at me like I had him when I was 13 and -hmm. they just have this look in their eye like, you know, what kind of person are you Mm. there? is a, a lack of trust and you know I find myself sometimes dressing a certain way so that I look older or like wearing a suit when it's not really called for mm-hmm. if I have to do something important just so that I could have a modicum of respect mm-hmm. you know um and, and when I was pregnant God that God
0: young you know,
1: forbid 24 right it's yeah you're a grown woman yeah I was yeah. a petty officer in of the United States Navy you know I had a degree you know I was you know engaged it was I was a grown woman, but because I looked like I was maybe 17, mm-hmm. I was treated with all kinds of dismissal and people telling me when I was with my partner, like, shame on you to my partner. For not being married, for not having the right. license. And, for, and because I was young, cause huh. I looked young, huh. but we were the same age. It huh. was crazy how people think that they can impose their views on strangers. It is crazy. And yet they, do. Oh, and they especially do, especially on mothers. Yes, absolutely. And you think about just anybody, not just single moms, but wanting to touch a stranger's stomach, like how would a, just a regular man walking down the street feel if somebody said, Oh, your stomach is so cute. Can I touch it? And they are touching it at the same time as they're asking. Right. It sounds absurd. Yeah. Yeah. But somehow people feel they're entitled to women's bodies in a way that's, you know, violating. And I think people need to stop and think about what they do.
0: You know, I I was having a, a conversation with a young woman who was experiencing that very thing. She did not like being touched. And yet a part of her felt like, are we providing a service? You know, because people just can't help themselves. They reach out and right. grab it. So <clears> is there something about, you know, being pregnant that... Is this something that we're supposed to do? And of course, my answer to that was, if you don't want to be touched, then no.
1: Exactly right. I mean, some people don't mind it, and that's fine. But, you know, I I don't think people should assume that it's all right to approach a woman and try to touch her. Right. Because that's what it is. And then
0: then immediately after that, they're either telling you their story or they're giving you advice.
1: Right. Completely unsolicited.
0: Right. You're in the market. You're buying a can of tomatoes. And, you know, somebody is giving you advice and touching you. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And it's kind of absurd. uh Uh-huh. Yeah. We're so weird
1: about (laughs) pregnant women.
0: (laughs) And I imagine if you looked like you were 17. Yeah. 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 So still, do you still get a lot of advice? If people know that you're a a single mom, do you get more advice than you think
1: a married mom would? You know what? I don't actually, I get asked for advice. Oh good. isn't that something? Huh. yeah, my son is he's very well mannered. um I think people are surprised that he's so awesome actually mm-hmm. and that's why I get asked for advice.
0: They're surprised as if mm-hmm. as if you could do it all on your own
1: right, like and they will say that was the one thing like that I wrote about in the essay like, how do you do it? that question. Yeah. You know, I you know, how do how does anyone do anything that they have to do? I'm you know, I'm just a person. I'm not a superwoman by any stretch of the imagination. You know, I have a chronic pain and fatigue syndrome. So I think mainly I just try to cut myself some slack. And I have a, a very strong sense of discipline, but I kind of gave up on the perfectionism. I think all mothers kind of have to do that or they'll lose it because you cannot do everything when you have children. It's just yeah, out. They
0: they either have to give it up willingly or it gets yanked out of their hands. <laughs> they pry it out of their cold hands, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that idea of control, no, no, no.
1: <laughs> yeah, my my younger sister's going through it now. She's a year younger and she's got a three-year-old and a 10-month-old. Oh my gosh. So yeah, she's she, and she's a perfectionist, so. Oh, poor dear. Oh, it's entertaining watch, <laughs> I bet so. I bet that is so entertaining. It is because she had a lot of opinions, a lot of opinions,
0: <laughs> as people that don't have children often do. Mm-hmm. I was at the, I was at Trader Joe's the other day, and um, there was a, a mother who had a, oh, probably about a two or three year old. She was a couple of, you know, checkout aisles over, and that that little one, that toddler, had been tantruming big and strong for quite a while. And um the mom was just as calm and elegant and graceful as could be. It was awesome. Mm-hmm. And um the baby was still just going for it. And the young man who was checking me out said, you know, We've got a seven month old now, and i just I just don't really think that my kid will ever do that. And <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> I started laughing, and then the man who was in row behind me, who was about sixty years old, just was laughing out loud, and he said, "You just right. keep telling yourself that
1: as amazing as my kid is now, uh-huh. from two to five, almost. He was a terror. Yeah, we take him anywhere. He was laying on the floor screaming. So i paid my dues. Yeah, yeah. So, you, yeah.
0: so fair exchange. You get you get some easy teen years. Right,
1: right. Yeah. And he had colic as a baby. So
0: you are clear from here on out. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. So, um. When did you write this essay? And and tell me mm-hmm. what inspired you to write it.
1: Well, I was on an academic panel um, for the Association of Writers and Writing Programs uh, conference, which is annual. Mm-hmm. And I believe it was the one in Boston in 2013, if I'm not mistaken. There was a panel for um, mother poets, and it was about how do you balance your writing and how do you, and mothering, like, how do you get it done? How do you take care of your child and take care of yourself and still be creative? So that was the impetus for the essay and all of the panelists um, wrote about it and then rattled did a special issue on single parenting. Mm -hmm. So that is how that came about.
0: So when you sat down to write it, was it one of those pieces that came, you know, kind of, all in a piece
1: or Mm -hmm. did it come absolutely it came all in a piece yeah yeah for the most part like I kind of just sat down and wrote because it was built up you know and we had just had that conversation um at the panel and um actually it's like half of what I sent to rattle they had to cut it down of course yeah but (laughs) um (laughs) right so I mean I think it's you know it's concise succinct you know Uh, Most of what got cut out was, you know, the stuff about my son, um, you know, being a black man in America, like raising a black man in America is kind of a scary thing sometimes. So there's that dynamic behind it as well.
0: So that's something that's really, you know, I was going to ask you, what are the unique challenges of single parenting, but what are the unique challenges of raising a black man in America?
1: Well, you have to, you know, take away their innocence Yeah. in terms of their safety in a way. You know, that aspect of it. He was 12 when Trayvon Martin was shot. Oh, my God. And we had to have that conversation. And, you know, it broke my heart. But, you know, he had just gone through something at school. He was only 11. And uh, he had gone through something at school that was clearly biased against him because of his race. So he understood and it was it's, it was scary to him that people would want to take your life because of what you look like. Right. It's insane. So are you afraid for him all the time? You know, I can't do that. Mm-hmm. If I do that, how are we going to live? Yeah. I just try to make sure that he knows how to make safe choices as much as he can. Mm-hmm. Um, I know where he is at all times. Mhm. Uh, if anything happens, you know, I'm like right there uh, and I know his friends, um, that kind of thing. I just really keep track of him and which are, which teach are, him to be polite.
0: Yeah. So those are all things that any parent of a teenage boy right. would, would also say. But you've got, for you, as the mother of a, a black young man... It's different.
1: Yeah. I mean, he has to be alert and aware of his surroundings in a way that's heightened. Yeah. 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 And aware of how he carries himself. Right. Isn't that something? But I don't want him to not be himself. So we talk about it. I think that's maybe what the thing is. Like we talk about it. Like, what would you do if something like that happened? What would you do if you were faced with a situation and trying to, control your anger or try to avoid something like that. Like he's not driving yet. So mm-hmm. that is, that is a scary thing for me because then he would be alone driving. <laughs> right. Right. A target. Yeah. So that's, that's something we haven't faced yet. You know that I've, I've raised,
0: I have several daughters and those are conversations that I have with them as young women mm-hmm. in America mm-hmm. right. because they're targets. That's right. Yeah.
1: Yeah, think about that young woman that was just shot, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Just. Yeah. Raising children in America. Yeah. Yeah. So what, well, let's get back to the unique challenges of single parenting.
1: Certainly. And
0: I can, you know, I've thought about this. I've thought about this quite a lot because of how much I depend on having a partner who's going to walk in the door at six o'clock and I can, you know, hand, hand Mm -hmm. the baby or the toddler. Yeah, I can tag Mm -hmm. team. And on those days when, oh my God, I need that. (laughs) I need
1: to, to tag. What's it like to not have that? Well, I did have it with my family. Mm -hmm. My mother stayed with me when my son was a baby and she watched him until he was six when I had to work. Thank you know, God she, for she mothers. Was yes. My mom's amazing. Mm. And, um, you know, I have sisters. I sent uh, my son one summer to with, to my sister in Michigan for a couple of weeks so I could do some things, you know. Mm. So I have a really good extended network. of friends that have offered to keep him. So I know that, like, if I need that time, I, I have places to send him, you know. Excellent. So I feel supported.
0: Well, Good. And that's something that, you know, I get a lot of emails and a lot of, of um, questions from people who have read my columns or read my book, worried about the single parenting issue. And the best piece of advice that I can give them is be confident you have the same mothering skills as somebody who's got, you know, a ring and a license and the same motivation, same inspiration and same love for your child that guides every mother what you need is a community right so grow that be active about it start looking around at the people that are in your family and in your friend group and in your community who do you want more of and who do you want to them to be in your children's lives
1: that is crucial yeah and i think it's difficult sometimes for women to ask for help Mm mm-hmm Even if people say no, I mean, ask anyway, if you're afraid they're going to say no, you know, let them have that, you know, space. Fine if they say no, but you asked. So just ask.
0: (laughs) Do you think that they're afraid to ask for help because of the judgment and stigma as if... I
1: believe so. That's part of it. But you think I think so? we're sometimes acculturated to think we have to do everything ourselves as women.
0: Oh, gosh, yes. Yeah. So
1: we have to get over that, too. When you're a mom, you know, you're in the trenches. <laughs> That's... Especially when they're little, you have to ask for help. So, did you say that you're 40? Yes.
0: Are you finding that it's easier to ask for help as you get older?
1: Um, hmm. That's a good question. I wouldn't say it's easier, but I give myself more permission Mm. Mm. because I always have that in the back of my mind, like I should be doing this myself. But then I look at my to-do list and okay, this can't get done if I don't ask for help. So I'm going to ask for help and let that be that and don't, you know, psychoanalyze it anymore.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And you need that community to share the, the good times too and to yes you do you need you need to have that community to come to you know the recitals and the school fairs and the birthday right. parties and be the one that you call to say yes they passed the test and,
1: mm-hmm, absolutely yeah. you yeah. do need to share those moments and they want to share those moments you know with other people too that's important yeah and I think for introverts sometimes it can be hard to reach out. Mm -hmm. because, you know, you kind of want to keep to yourself. I am like 80% introvert. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, I understand that challenge, you know, of trying to grow a good community. But I think if you can find your tribe of people, then it makes it a little easier, you know, your tribe of introverts, Mm -hmm. you Mm -hmm. know, so to speak. But you definitely, definitely, without question, need people. Yeah. To help you. Yeah. I can't even say that enough.
0: Yeah. It's key. It's key, regardless if you're, if you're single or, or not, That's right. but even more so probably if you're single. Yes. Yeah. So in, in the essay, you talk about the public private convergence of mothering. What, mm-hmm. tell me, tell me more about that.
1: Well, it's physical and it's emotional Right? Because right. your emotions are so close to the surface when you're pregnant, like to the extreme. And then when it's about your children, as you're even as you're older and they're older, it's still that's like the deepest love that you're going to have is for your children. So if somebody is judging you or questioning you about your children, <laughs> your emotions come out in public in a way that can feel like, you know, it's violating. Mm-hmm. And the physical part where, you have to wear a ring if you're married and have a license. And if you don't have those things, people are thinking less of or differently about you. Mm -hmm. Um, I find it problematic because you should not have to have the state's permission to exist and neither Mm -hmm. should your child. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: And that's what it seems to boil down to, to me.
0: Hmm. That's a, that's a powerful statement. So My favorite paragraph in the essay, and I want to read that, is the stigma attached to single mothers frankly baffles me. The most prevalent question I've gotten as a single mother, how do you do it? My answer, one thing or two or seven at a time, minute by minute, shoelace by shoelace, tantrum by tantrum, laugh by laugh. Story by story, I order out, I cook a bunch on weekends, I pass out with my clothes on, I let some things slide, or stay up late to finish. We, as parents, repeat ourselves, and it's a good thing. We're teaching our children how to live. Thank goodness each day we get another chance at almost everything. Some of that we've already touched on a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, some of it we haven't. I I love that you talk about the repetitiveness of parenting. Yes. I mean, it can be t- tedious a little bit because of that. But it also, you know, you you know you're going to do it again the next day. So if you screwed it up today, you've got another chance tomorrow.
1: Exactly. Exactly. You can turn it around. It's kind of, Sometimes it's how you look at it. Yeah. You know, it, I know that I am not the best cook. Sometimes I get super tired of cooking.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and especially now because my son eats eight times a day. Yeah. But, you know, you just kind of have to figure it out. That's the thing about being a parent. You're like, your mistakes are on display right. for your children and for other people. Yeah. So you kind of have to, like I said earlier, cut yourself a little slack and just yeah. keep trying. Keep change, changing it around because there's actually there's joy in that. Yeah. You know, I just discovered um, a recipe for... Jamaican patties. My son loves Jamaican patties. I've never made them. I found a recipe online and I nailed it. Woo. It felt so great. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have to look it up now because I don't even know what that is. Oh, they're like spicy turnovers, almost like an empanada. Ooh, yum. Yeah. And you can use chicken. You can use vegetables. They don't really use vegetables too much, but you could but if you're you could. Vegetarian. Hypothetically. Yeah, hypothetically. <laughs> but he likes the beef ones. So. Uh-huh. Um, and you can change the spice level to how you want it. But, yeah, they're really delicious. Yum. And that felt great. And I don't always, you know, win at cooking. Sometimes, you know, something's undercooked, he won't even eat it. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah, and that's like a waste of food, and a waste of my time. That drives me a little nutty. Does he cook yet? He cooks a little. Yeah. He can make quesadillas. He can make, you know, pancakes, waffles, that kind of thing.
0: He's functional. Um,
1: He's functional. Yeah. Yeah. He, he can starve. survive without me for a day.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, you know, a couple of times now that the, we've touched on that, how do you do it question and that women get that all the time. Mm-hmm. Do men, do men get that question?
1: That's what I like to know. No, I think that they get congratulated for every little thing where they would like to be. Yeah. <laughs> So are people take out the trash and they've like accomplished, you know, climbing Mount Everest because they take out the trash at night, you know, sometimes. But I think that's just like a, it's another cultural thing. Yeah, it
0: is. And I, and I wonder, you know, are, are women being asked that because people are surprised that we can function at a high level, even when under duress? Or is it because, you know, they think you can't do it? I don't know.
1: I don't know either. Yeah, but I wish that people would not ask that question. <laughs> right. I think you know it's also a, a
0: conversation. You know, it's something to stopgap an awkward conversation. Like, yeah, people will hear something about your story and they'll think that is so hard, but they don't know what to say.
1: Well, I think maybe they don't realize that it's actually not. I mean, it's. I don't want to call it hard. I wanna call it maybe, maybe it's challenging sometimes. Yeah. But if, that's you, a love kid, yeah, if you love your kid. Yeah. If you love a kid, you gonna wanna feed them and take care of them and haven't you had stuff. any
0: times raising your son that it was just plain hard?
1: Well, when he had colic when yeah. I had no sleep for yeah. like four months. That yeah. was horrible. And I had help then. Like I had, you know, my partner and my mother. But yeah. I was nursing. So it was brutal. Yeah. We finally found a remedy for it when he was four months old. I slept for eight hours for the first time in like six months. And listeners
0: are going to want to know what your remedy was. They're
1: going to hear this and say, what was the (laughs) remedy? Yeah. It's called um, gripe water. Yeah. 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 I think it's like made out of dill or something
0: like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So 16 years ago, you really would have had to have looked for that.
1: It's more, it's more common now. Right. It was. It was at the Jamaican store. His dad is Jamaican, so his grandmother in Jamaica knew about it it and told him, and we had to go find it at this little obscure store. (laughs) Right,
0: and now it's sold at, you know, all the boutiques, and it's at Whole Foods. Isn't that something? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was you first. (laughs) Yeah, there we go. (laughs) So, Khadija, what else do you want listeners to know about you and the work you do and your motherhood?
1: Well, I think um, I love being a mom. It's actually one of the best things that I've ever done. And I wouldn't trade it for anything. And, you know, what's cool about being a single parent is that you don't have to fight with anybody else about what you want to do with your kid and decisions mm-hmm. you make. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. It it's falls on you, which can be difficult, but you also have a kind of autonomy and you're a team mm-hmm. with your child in a way that maybe you may or may not be. There are a bunch of you, and mm-hmm. you have a partner that you have to focus on. Mm-hmm. So that's what's cool. Um, one thing that's cool about being a single parent. Um, I think I touched on it earlier when I was saying that yeah, I'm just, I'm just a person. Yeah. I'm, I'm not a superwoman. Just a lady no, doing her thing. <laughs> yeah, you know, I don't have like an extra strength gene that makes me. Oh, Okay, to be a single parent and someone else not i think you do what you have to do when you're a parent yeah
0: yeah
1: and it's i don't want to say it's not that big a deal i mean because it kind of is (laughs) but yeah yeah and i think we ought to give ourselves credit for what we do as moms Mm -hmm. we're we're acculturated to downplay our accomplishments in some ways and um modesty can be a way of erasing yourself right so, yeah, I feel pretty good about the things that I've accomplished, and I think that my son is proud of me also, and he has a sense of what is possible because he's seen me overcome many things, uh-huh. and and to write books and have a play in New York, and still, while I'm while I have disability and I have a full-time job, so.
0: That is pretty yeah. remarkable.
1: That's a lot. That's really cool. <laughs> it's a lot. That means lot. I go to bed really early. <laughs> yeah, I understand. Yeah. yeah. When do you write? Um, I usually write in bursts. So like summer of 2014, I wrote, I finished four books. In have, one summer? Yeah, I had been writing them, you know, they all, were all in various stages of completion, but I just finished them up that summer. I just had a mode. Wow. And um, so now I think I can take my time a little more. And sometimes I'll do this thing called the Grind daily writing group. Mm -hmm. And we're a group of writers that email each other our poems. So we break out into subgroups by genre Mm -hmm. and whether or not we're revising. And I just commit to that month of writing every day. So I do that four times a year-ish. Mm-hmm.
0: And then you write professionally, that's your day gig too, correct? I'm an editor for a finance company. Got it. Okay. So it's words, words, words all day long.
1: Basically. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) I can relate. That's what I do too.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So there's one question that I like to ask everybody, and that is, it may seem obvious, but the answers I get to this question are pretty remarkable. Where are you in your life as a mom
1: I think I'm transitioning. I'm seeing, like, what's going to happen. I'm, like, trying to figure out what's going to happen when my son is 18. Like, what does that mean for me as a parent? Mm -hmm. And shifting from so much, like, over supervision (laughs) to letting him have some freedoms and all that while kind of balancing the whole concern about, you know, police violence and his he's got allergies and that kind of stuff so I'm really, I'm shifting awareness of myself as the parent like what kind of parent am I going to be now yeah and I think it I've enjoyed all those stages so I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how this next one will be
0: what it's like to be the parent of a young adult yes yeah and then a little bit later an adult and an adult adult
1: I know. You know, I told him I really want grandbabies, but like when he's 30.
0: <laughs> but maybe, just maybe not this year. <laughs> he, well, yeah, he knows. Yeah, he knows. Yeah. Well, this has he's been really good. Right <laughs> good. Smart man. Yes. Yeah. Well, Khadija, this has been a great conversation.
1: Yes. Thank you so much for inviting me. This was a pleasure.
0: Yeah. All right. We'll talk again. Thank you.
1: Mama said there'll be days be days like this my said. there'll be days like this. There'll be days like this
0: said. My guest today was Khadijah Queen. You can learn more about her work at KhadijahQueen.com Common Sense Pregnancy and Parenting podcast is produced by Alex Ward at Sounds Like Pictures Studios in Portland, Oregon. You can find my book, Common Sense Pregnancy, on Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, and everywhere books are sold. You can see more of my work on my website, genefaulkner.com. If you have questions, email me, gene at genefaulkner.com. Thanks for joining me on Common Sense Pregnancy, Parenting, and Power podcast. And please subscribe, share, leave a rating on iTunes if you feel like it. Thanks for joining me, and let's keep talking. Like this,
1: Sí